0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me at the very end of the liturgical year, right before the Feast of Christ the King and then the beginning of Advent, the Church has us turn our mind and our eyes to the end of time. The end of the liturgical year brings with it a consideration of the end of history, when Jesus will come again. And so we read, Lord Jesus, your words... In this Sunday's Gospel, Jesus said to His disciples, In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the earth to the end of the sky our first reaction to this lord in our prayer might be one of fear or foreboding we realize that our lord's description of his second coming is accompanied by a certain violence a certain destruction and so we might be tempted to, to conclude from that, that we should fear his coming, fear the end of the world, that it's a bad thing. And there's a sense in which this is true, of course. These, our Lord talks about tribulations and terrible persecutions and all these kind of natural calamities. But we have to be careful that the end of the world is not the destruction of the world, It's a process by which the world comes into its own. It's the fulfillment of the world. It's the resolution of history. It's the completion. It's the perfection of the world and of history, even though it has to go through a certain violent transformation to get there. And so Scripture speaks to us of a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Lord, when you come again, everything will be put right, will be made better. And evil will be conquered and banished forever. To transition to a better state of things, much better than we can imagine, much better than they are now. And so we might say, in that famous phrase, also made famous by a song of R.E.M., that the end of the world is not simply the end of the world, it is the end of the world as we know it. The world is, Will be transformed by our Lord's coming, transfigured, elevated by our Lord's coming. And so, this is something, therefore, that the church actually tells us to desire. The saints tell us, and the church tells us to look forward to the end of the world. We pray this in each Mass. We say, We await the blessed hope and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We await with a kind of eager expectation. The blessed hope in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first reading helps us with this. We see that the end times are times of glory, of life, of coming into a true life. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some shall live forever. Others shall be in everlasting horror and disgrace. But the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament, and those who lead the many to justice will be like the stars forever the ultimate vindication of the just, of the righteous their ultimate reward and glory in heaven depends on this transformation, depends on this shift from the way the world runs now in this current state, the world as we know it to the future world to come to the perfection of the world by the triumph of Christ, his coming in glory and power this image of the end times from the prophet Daniel, the wise shall shine brightly like the splendor of the firmament and those who lead the many to justice shall be like stars forever. It's something that our Lord himself alludes to when talking about heaven. He says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of heaven. When I think, therefore, about the end of of the world when I think about the end times. It should be a spur for me to be good, to be righteous. It's going to be a judgment, and it'll be a judgment on how we used our freedom. It'll be a judgment on how we repented from our sins and tried to trust God by converting. It'll be a judgment precisely on our righteousness. How did I use my will and God's help to be good? And the Bible talks about righteousness as a kind of a path through life. Living well, in the biblical language, in the biblical conception, means walking on the right path. And this makes sense. If we want to get to the right place, to the right end, to heaven, Well, we have to walk on the right path. We have to take the right road, the right way. And so we read in Scripture, Your commandments were a light for my feet, that our Lord's Commandments, those rules He gives us, do this and don't do that, are a way through life. They're a light for our feet. They show us the way to go. And in this week's Responsorial Psalm, we have also this image. O Lord, my allotted portion and my cup, You it is who hold fast my light. I set the Lord ever before me, with Him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. I set the Lord ever before me, Lord Jesus, that we want you to be walking in front of us through this life, that we walk where you walk and we imitate the way you walked through your life. We follow your lead. I set the Lord ever before me, with him at my right hand, I shall not be disturbed. You will show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence the delights at your right hand forever. The righteous, the holy, are those who walk on the right path. And Lord Jesus, you have told us very clearly, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. So the path that we walk on To get to the life, the true life of heaven, the life in Christ, the life of glory, has to pass through the truth. We enter the way which is our Lord Jesus, and he reveals to us the truth, and that truth frees us and helps us to enter into the true life. And so we get to the life through the truth. And what is that truth that sets us free? What is that truth that leads us on the path of Jesus into true life, into eternal life? Well, it's not an abstract truth. It's not a kind of speculative truth. It's a very concrete truth about ourselves and about God. About ourselves in relation to God. We need to have a kind of courageous desire to know the truth about ourselves and about God. And have a kind of fierceness to it, that we want to cut through anything that keeps us from the truth about ourselves and about God. We need to be more like Tom Cruise in that movie where he screams at Jack Nicholson, I want the truth, in that courtroom scene. And Jack Nicholson in that fantastic line yells back at him, You can't handle the truth. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And perhaps, Lord, with regard to the truth about ourselves, we don't really want the truth. And we think we can't handle the truth. And so we give in, as it is very easy to do, we give in to a certain self-deception. We hide the truth from ourselves. We distort the truth. This happens because of pride. In our pride, we want to be right all the time. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. In our pride, we prefer our own judgment, our own opinion, Much more than the judgment or the opinion of others that might conflict with ours. We don't value the judgment of others. In our pride and our sinfulness, in that part of us which is evil, opposed to God, we have a great reluctance to change. And that's a reluctance to admit the truth, to admit our deeper faults. And so we say things like, Well, I'm not that bad. I'm basically a good person. I hear this all the time. (laughs) My line of work father i'm basically a good person i'm a good person and i feel like saying i know i know i know you're not hitler right you're not charles manson but isn't there some sinfulness there that you can work on are you being true with yourself are you being brutally sincere about your character about your relationships about your prayer life and why do we do this i'm okay i'm basically a good person well different reasons we don't want to change, but also to avoid being vulnerable. To avoid being dependent on God. To, to avoid being absolutely dependent on His mercy. We, we don't like that situation. We're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes, Lord, we don't want the truth. And it's not that we're outright lying to ourselves or deceiving ourselves or others. But it could be a matter of shifting the emphasis of truths. Truths. And so we might think, oh yeah, I've got my problems, but, but this other thing, well, that's really bad. Or how this person treats me, well, that's that's the really terrible thing. Yeah, I've got my defects, I've got my sins, but this other thing over here, well, that's a terrible thing. And when we get to the final judgment, God's not going to judge us on that other thing, or what that person did, or that other truth out there that that we find so disturbing. He's going to judge us with justice, but also with mercy. He's going to judge us on, on us, right? That part of us, which says, yeah, I've got my things, but well, at the final judgment, there's not going to be any, but it's going to be like, well, what did you do about those things? How did you use your freedom? How did you use your intellect? How did you use my grace above all? How did you appeal to my mercy and use the sacraments, my teaching to deal with those problems, to figure out where you've turn from the path, to get back on the path. Lord Jesus, you're not going to judge me on other people's vices, no matter (laughs) how they affect me. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Walter Scott. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. And it can get very tangled. We might not even be aware of our own self-deception. We can deceive ourselves about being self-deceived, and then perhaps with prayer and a good examination of conscience or some personal experience, all of a sudden the scales can fall from our eyes and we realize, oh my gosh, I've, I've been tricking myself for so long. I've had this false idea about myself, about others, about the church, about history, whatever. And that's a moment of truth. It's a hard moment, but it's a moment of a great grace. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the truth. Jesus, you are the truth and you love us and you want us to walk on your way into this life. And so a shortcut to coming to the truth that saves us is being with our Lord. It's like our Lord looks at Peter after his falls and Peter is immediately moved to repentance to recognize what he did wrong and he weeps and he starts over so too if we can just look at our Lord in the eye in our prayer and let him cut through our self-deception our falsehoods well we'll be converted we'll be convicted and that's hard but we'll be converted as well there's a wonderful sermon by St. Augustine in which he talks about our attitude towards the coming of Christ as judge, when Christ will come at the end of time to judge us. And Augustine brilliantly connects our fear of the end of the world, our fear of the coming of Christ, with love for our own sins, with love for our sinfulness, and therefore with our self-deception. This is from his sermon. But I wish you to be without anxiety. He quotes St. Paul, who's talking about the same issue of being fearful of the coming of Christ, the end end of time. But I wish you to be without anxiety. And Augustine goes on to comment on Paul's wish here. Augustine says, He who is without anxiety waits without fear until his Lord comes. For what sort of love of Christ is it to fear his coming? Brothers, do we not have to blush for shame? We love him Yet we fear his coming. Are we really certain that we love him? Or do we love our sins more? Therefore, let us hate our sins and love him who will exact punishment for them. He will come whether we wish it or not. Do not think that because he is not coming just now, he will not come at all. He will come, you know not when, and provided he finds you prepared. Your ignorance at the time of His coming will not be held against you. What a brilliant question. What sort of love of Christ is it to fear His coming? What we call the end of the world, Lord, is not destruction. It's not a bad thing. It's you coming with your truth, with with your justice, and with your mercy to restore order and to make up for sin and to exact that justice that needs to be exacted. And so Augustine says, if you don't want to be nervous about the end of the world, about your judgment, your particular judgment, we're all going to die. The end of the world personally for us, in a certain sense, comes when we die. That'll be very much the end of the world as we've always known it up until that point. We will be judged by God. He is coming. And if you want to overcome your fear of that, Augustine says, Love Christ and hate your sins. Love Christ and hate your sins. And you'll overcome your fear of death. And you'll overcome your fear of the, of the end times as well. Speaking of judgment, Saint Josemaria says, For you, he won't be a harsh judge. He will just be Jesus. And how do we get to that? Well, like Augustine says, by being honest with our sins, hating our sins, and loving Christ walking walking in that way of righteousness Lord you're coming you're coming to conquer sin and it will be a spectacular victory in the second reading we read from the letter to Hebrews but this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool what a striking image that this is also present in the Psalms. That the enemies of God will be made His footstool. We read, for example, in Psalm 110, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so we can we can imagine that, that the enemy of God is so humiliated, is so defeated, that God is like sitting on a throne or a couch and he's got his feet extended out over his enemy and his enemies are crouched down on all fours and he's got his feet kind of on his back. We can imagine that there'd be kind of like a bet, you know, between people who are playing fantasy football or getting into a celebrity boxing match or something like this and saying, okay, if I win, well, then you have to be my footstool for the duration of an NFL game on Sunday or whatever. And then they take a picture and post that stupid picture of this guy with his feet on the other guy's back, you know, relaxing. What a humiliation. What a great image of absolute dominance and and victory. And this is what Jesus is saying he's going to do with with sin and with his enemies, right? Those unrepentant sinners and the, and the and the fallen angels, right? Those who oppose his will in a definitive way. He's going to conquer. He's going to conquer. And so, Lord, we want to be on the right side. Help us to be sorry for our sins, to admit our sins, be sorry for our sins, to run to your mercy, to wave the white flag in this battle. To tell our Lord, Lord, we surrender, we give up, and that sinful part of ourselves will say, hey, what are you doing? You can't do this. We want to keep fighting. We want, to, we want our own way. And we say, no, 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 I'm in charge here, and I surrender. I, here are all the prisoners of war, all my sins. I just, I just turn them over to God. We give up. We don't want to be His footstool. We don't want to go to hell. We don't want to have punishment exacted on us. Rather, we want to give up and give in, And then we're treated with mercy and clemency. St. Augustine goes on in that same homily. Do you, because you were unjust, expect the judge not to be just? Or because you are a liar, will the truthful one not be true? Augustine here is warning us against the sin of presumption. And so we tend, in our injustice, to treat ourselves unfairly. To want more good things, perhaps, than we deserve, to give ourselves a greater share of honor, of respect, of money, of admiration, than we deserve. And Augustine says, well, we can, we can slip in our self deception to thinking, well, God will treat me unfairly. Since I treat myself unfairly, God will treat me unfa- unfairly. And Augustine's saying, no, he won't. <laughs> because you are a liar, will the truthful one not be true? Aquinas says something similar about the sin of presumption. He says, presumption is when we expect mercy without repentance. To expect to be saved without being sorry for our sins is presumption. It's not true. It's not going to happen. We need to be sorry for the sins that we're aware of. And the more we're honest with ourselves, the more we're aware of our sinfulness and we can do this. And so that sincerity, that honesty, unlocks our capacity to have our sins forgiven. Because we cut through the protection that our ego gives to our sins. Our ego is trying to protect our sinfulness. Our fallen ego is trying to protect our sinfulness. So the first step is to to recognize, no, I know I have sins. And, And then with our Lord's help, well, what are they? What do I have to raise the white flag on and surrender them to our Lord so that he can have mercy on me. Do you, because you are unjust, expect the judge not to be just? Or because you are a liar, will the truthful one not be true? Rather, if you wish to receive mercy, be merciful before he comes. Forgive whatever has been done against you. Give of your abundance. Of whose possessions do you give, if not from his? If you were to give of your own, it would be largesse. But since you give of his, it is restitution. For what do you have that you have not received? These are the sacrifices most pleasing to God. Mercy, humility, praise, peace, charity. Such as these, then, let us bring, and free from fear... We shall await the coming of the judge who will judge the world in equity and the peoples in his truth. More great advice, Lord Jesus, from one of your greatest saints. If we want to overcome our fear of judgment at death, our fear of calamity in this world, our fear of judgment at the end of time, we have to bring sacrifices that are pleasing to God. And what are they? Mercy humility, praise, peace, charity. Such as these then let us bring, and free from fear we shall await the coming of the judge who will judge the world in equity and the peoples in his truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to heaven except through me. Lord, help me to keep walking on the way that is my imitation of your life that I set the Lord before me and help me Lord to keep looking for the truth the truth that sets me free the truth about me and my situation and the truth about you your presence in it and how you judge it and who and who you are in yourselves these days many people are concerned there's a, a great amount of anxiety about the situation in the world and what will happen great changes taking place in politics and economically and in health, all sorts of apparent calamities that we're undergoing. And this leads some people to, to, to say, well, the end is near. Jesus is coming soon. These are signs of the end of the world. And here we have to be careful. You know, of course, logically, they might be right. It's like the old clock that's stopped but nevertheless just by chance it's right twice a day right a a broken clock is right twice a day and so people for centuries for millennia have been saying the end is near the end is near Jesus is coming soon right these are all signs of the end of the world and eventually they're going to be right right one generation that says this (laughs) will be right because Christ will come again but jesus tells us well you know you should just be ready and don't try to predict it because you don't know when it's happening amen i say to you we read in today's gospel this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away but of that day or hour no one knows neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Of that day or hour, when he comes back, when this period of history of the use of our freedom here on earth will end and will enter into eternity, we'll have a new heavens and a new earth. Of that day or hour, that transition, no one knows when it will happen. And so we shouldn't worry ourselves unnecessarily with whether this or that historical time or process is actually the coming of Jesus. Rather, we should do what we would want to do anyway, which is to live in such a way that if I die today, I'll be pleasing to God, I'll be in God's friendship. To live in such a way, once again, that I'm admitting my sins, hating my sins, and loving Jesus, and following his commandments, and walking in his path. And as Augustine says, that is what frees us from anxiety about judgment, anxiety about Jesus' is coming. That said, there are um, experiences in history, and you know this might be one of them, which are kind of again, to use the phrase, are kind of the end of the world as we know it. We can call them kind of mini-ends of the world. And so the church experiencing those tremendous persecutions in the first centuries, well, that felt like the end of the world to those communities. Like, well, this is so drastic, so dramatic that the end is coming soon. Or the fall of the Roman Empire, right, which St. Augustine writes so much about. In a certain sense, that was the end of their world. In more recent times, right, World War II, in a certain sense, was like, well, the end of the world as, as we knew it in Europe. The Reformation was another kind of end of the Western world. Things changed radically. And so we might be living through one of those many ends of the world, and who knows? Eventually it's going to be true. It might be the actual end of the world. But the question for a believer is, does it really matter? Am I living in a way that I want to die? Am I living in a way that I want to be judged? Whether we're living through a mini end of the world or the real end of the world, whether our life has many years stretched out ahead of us to live, or whether our Lord will call us sooner than we think. In the end, it doesn't really matter. We have to be ready. Our Lord says, watch. Be vigilant. Watch. Watch where you walk walk in the path of righteousness. And that is the path of the truth, the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. And so in our prayer, Lord, we tell you, perhaps without the boldness of Tom Cruise, but we tell you, Lord, we want the truth. We want the truth and we want to be able to handle the truth. And we know we can handle it because the truth is you and you love us and you want our good. The very last line of the entire Bible is this plea for Jesus to come. This desire that He come and bring things to their fulfillment and conquer sin definitively. Revelation 22 verse 20 He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Our ladies, we've considered many times, is the queen of heaven. She's our advocate before God. And so if we fear judgment, we go to our advocate our lawyer. We ask her, Ut per nobis bona that you defend us, that you speak good things in front of God for us. Our Lady, our Mother, help us to overcome any fear of judgment, whether our particular judgment or the final judgment, because we have this great trust and confidence that it's the coming of the One we know loves us. And as long as we love Him more than we love ourselves or our sins, We're going to be absolutely safe at His coming. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.